Welcome to episode number eight of the Intersections on the Spectrum podcast. The Intersections on the Spectrum podcast is the brainchild of Doug Bletcher and Kelly Braun Johnson, created to discuss intersectional issues within the autistic community and give visibility to commonly marginalized, repressed, underrepresented, or erased identities and issues. We aim to introduce you to the people and stories you didn't know about but needed to hear and hope that by seeing yourself represented in the community allows you to feel seen. Today we are joined by Maisie Santantayo, an openly autistic family coach, advocate, and professional trainer. Maisie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's it's always nice to be invited to talk about things that I'm very passionate about. Thank you for having me. We all have multiple identities. So for you, what would you say are the identities that uh, describe you? I think uh, first thing I always say that I am autistic. And it's even though I was uh, diagnosed very, very late uh, as an adult recently. And I'm very proud to say that I am autistic. So that's the first thing that would come out of my mouth. And I'm so lucky that I'm able to do that because my family loves me no matter what. They are my game changers. My parents, uh, my mom was a game changer for me, even though, you know, she didn't know when I was a little girl, there was no such a thing as uh, getting a diagnosis or you know, occupational therapy, or, you know, we just had uh, our parents, and maybe some tutoring, (laughs) and that's it, you know. So, uh, I, that's what I say. Uh, In my family, ever since I was a little girl, I think having a neurodivergent has always been part of our family identity and family culture. I had a non-speaking autistic aunt who has Down syndrome. And so I think it's just part of our lives, you know, understanding, trying to communicate and connect with somebody who is different. And I think in our family, we just have more neurodivergent, more neurodivergent than neurotypicals. So it's actually kind of (laughs) cool. I want to, I guess, jump onto that uh, uh-huh. topic of diagnosis. So uh-huh. can you talk about your process uh, of getting diagnosed and yeah. um, especially if, if you could give some advice to yeah. other adults who are trying to get diagnosed as well? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I was at the, asked the other day about being self-diagnosed. Is that a good thing or not enough or so on? So I can only speak with my through my own personal experiences Obviously, there's something about autism that really has drawn me into this field. I, this is my work for th- like over 30 years now. Uh, it's been a long time, right? And I um, came across the field of autism at UCLA, and I started working with autistic kids doing behavioral intervention. And I think because I am autistic, I kind of intuitively, I intuitively sense that this is not right. Like doing all the, teaching these kids, rewarding them to be able to learn and seem to make gains according to neurotypical standards. I just didn't know at that point 
exactly what was wrong with it. So I kept getting trained in the field, leaving it behind, trying something else, all in the context of working with autistic kids, knowing that it's there has to be something better, you know. And so having done this for 30 years, my little autistic clients grew up. They still cannot get a job, a summer job at Domino's Pizza, even though they make pizza almost like every other day or every day. They're the pizza expert. But uh, they fail because um, they did not pass the verbal interview. So I was thinking, you know, for people who have a diagnosis ever since they were little and with all these therapies, I think autistic kids are the hardest working people on this earth, honestly. Honestly, school therapies, you know, I try always trying to catch up and also parents uh, really trying to do the best that they can to prepare their autistic loved ones with the diagnosis to really uh, get ready to be part of a community and get a job or whatever. Uh, it's still not enough, you know. So I think when you ask me about the process of getting a diagnosis, or just maintaining a self-diagnosis. I think it's a personal preference. Uh, I think for me, I knew, like in 2019, when I started connecting and researching for employability, I talked to so many autistic adults. And quite often, they are the ones who would say at the end of our chat, they will say, are you sure you're not autistic yourself? You know, and I started thinking, oh, well, yeah, I guess I could see how you would think about that. And, you know, um, also through my kids, my son, and exploring his neurodivergence. So many, many parents today, they're discovering their neurodifferences alongside their autistic family members. So I would definitely suggest that if it's important for whatever re personal reason, Go get a formal diagnosis if you can find somebody who can diagnose you. Uh, I think it has given me peace and really giving me my own personal toolbox to really embrace the sensory differences and setting up boundaries, unmasking, which actually gives me, I think, more energy and focus to be able to do my advocacy. You know, so I think in that sense, it's really important to get to just, whether you go through the formal diagnosis or not, to really embrace it. If you know that you're autistic, then just like own it. Own it means embrace the hard days, embrace how certain things are really hard because of your sensory differences. Embrace that, oh, you don't feel like going to a costume party because the costume is itchy and who cares if people tell you you're a party pooper? You know, that's fine. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> this is, it kind of gives me the validation that I need that I, and then it helps me to be able to explain to people better, you know, instead of saying, no, I, I don't feel like joining your party, you know, but I can say this is the reason why. Yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> No, it sounds great. I, I always go the round and about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I especially like how you said for you, it brought you peace, you know? And that's so, yes. to me, there's so much power to that. There's, right. uh, you know, just saying, I have peace in this. I have uh, comfort in this identity. Yeah. Um, and that to me, 
again, if people are able to get a, a formal diagnosis, yes. it's not easy to access, it's expensive, mm-hmm. but if they can, and just mm-hmm. like you said, have that sense of peace, have that sense of mm-hmm. acceptance. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Oh, thank you. My husband actually said, oh, I knew you were autistic. Like a year after we started dating, I knew it. <laughs> he said, I was like, how come you didn't say anything? And he said, well, I, I don't think you want to hear, you know how people want to hear what they want to hear. And when they're not ready, they will just push it like back and say, no, that's not me. You know, and it's so weird that I've been in this field for so long and I never really connected all like all these autistic traits to myself. But post diagnosis, I would just walk around and think back about past personal relationships or my dad and my grandma I'm like oh yeah uh uh-huh you know no wonder so many broken relationships and family dynamics because you know of the mix of like neurotypical and neurodivergent in the family so it it all makes sense to me you know and yeah so so that's it has come full circle for me Something really cool that you're a part of, Maisie, is uh-huh. is the very first Indonesian autistic-led neurodiversity paradigm conference. Uh-huh. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that conference and how can people go about uh, registering? Thank you for spotlighting that event. It's very, very important because this is the first one that is totally autistic-led. We, of course... We've had many, many conferences and trainings for uh, neurotypical adults uh, working with special needs individuals of all types of diagnosis. But this is the first one that uh, I'm able to organize and put together with three other autistic adults who are out openly about their diagnosis. And that is very, very rare. In my country, is very rare because everybody likes to hide because of the stigma and, you know, um, and I think also for Asian cultures, it's very hard to admit publicly that you are struggling with a diagnosis and trying to figure out how to raise, you know, someone who's different than you and people still tend to like to keep it under, under. <laughs> You know, just hush-hush. And I really believe that uh, the world is actually not ready for autistic people and for neurodivergence because the the implementation of full inclusivity at workplace is still very, very early in its development. And if we, as parents, we don't know how to advocate for our autistic family member and speak to truth without using functional labels that uh, this problem will continue in five years, 10 years, that rate of hiring of neurodivergent people will continue to be slow because it's just human beings. If you're not comfortable, if you don't know about the subject matter, it gets awkward. You know, you, you, you're afraid to ask questions. Definitely, you're thinking, well, you know, I, I'm not equipped to hire an autistic person. It looks like it's just going to need tremendous amount of my time, my staff's time, to be able to include 
uh, an ADHD or autistic person or non-speaking person into our uh, uh, company culture. So I really believe the step one is really educating parents of neurodivergent kids to really understand what is autism. You know, it's a subculture, it's a neurotype, it's a different engine, it's a different information processing, it's not less, it's not a lesser model, it's a different model. It's like talking about apples and oranges, you know, or talking about uh, a Microsoft computer versus an Apple computer. You know, it's a different engine, it's differently built, but both as valid and what we need to do is come up with a different manual i, I really like that from a, a abolitionist uh, approach you know like i think the systems are broken and we need to we need to break the systems right. that have right. caused a lot of these inequities in the first place right and then we can start to bring in people you know from a spirit of equity right 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 so i'm very fortunate for this upcoming conference for indonesia of course i have to do it in my own native language which is i'm very deathly afraid because <laughs> i i uh, haven't spoken in my native language for a long time and all of these terms you know it's kind of hard to explain <laughs> it's really hard to translate but i think it's going to be great because i think we're very passionate about sharing our truth and our journey and our, including our struggles. Gita Shahrir is uh, a very, um, she is a brilliant, brilliant business woman in Asia, very well known. And um, she was educated here in America and she talked about her selective mutism for years and years as a way to protect herself and mask while she was in school and she talked about the bullies actually the bullying came or happened to her because of her teacher's perception of uh, uh, her as a non-speaking you know and that's, so it's it's such an amazing sharing to have somebody who is so successful like Gita and be able to share this openly for our Indonesian parents uh, and communities, I think it's huge. And Osha is loves, he, he loves to talk about his uh, school experiences, you know, going to college uh, and thriving in that environment. Uh, so that's what he's gonna talk. And then, and then uh, Julie Putra is uh, another autistic, openly autistic lecturer and artists. So she loves to talk about art and how it's such a great medium uh, for special interests, how that really gives you a safe zone and how to nurture that. So, you know, it's just, I know it's just four people, but I think we are going to capture very important topics to really give people a good, a different mindset, plant seeds. Yeah, so if anyone want, well, if you speak Indonesian, you know, you can um, register on my Facebook page and also on Instagram, my Instagram account at Autism Career Pathways. As we get closer, I'll post the link and people can register. 
Um, I want to talk about masking a bit because, you know, mm -hmm. we brought it up and even before recording, we were talking about masking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to give uh, context to anybody who doesn't know what masking is, right. uh, this is basically when autistic people kind of feel that they have to almost wear a persona or a mask to fit right. in. Then this helps, keeps us safe from bullying and judgment and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So recently you created a video series on why and how children mask. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the reasons that children start to mask and what can parents do to support their, their children in this area? Well, I think when you are a child, you are still trying to figure out who you are. And um, when you are a child, your mirror, like how do you develop that self-identity is through how, uh, how adults actually perceive you. Right. And when you think about autistic children, and especially if you're in America, you know, the moment that formal diagnosis is given to this child, then your life is turned upside down because of the amount of therapy that you're going to have to go through. And pretty much you're not a kid anymore. You're going to be an overscheduled kid because of your uh, autism diagnosis. And you will have therapists coming to your home. And of course the recommendation for in-home therapy is a minimum of 20 to 40 hours of therapy. And you know, and then you still have to do speech therapy and occupational therapy, social skills therapy, and on top of that, school. Honestly, I don't know how an autistic kid would survive that. <laughs> I struggle with more than two or three Zoom meetings. Like I just really, I pay for it in the evenings, you know, where I would just tell my families, oh, I'm so sorry, I just can't. I just have to switch it off. I just can't speak in. I just don't have it in my brain anymore <laughs> to, I don't have any more output, you know. So this is the issue with how, autism or being different is perceived, I think, in many, many Western countries, that it becomes, uh, you no longer see the child as a person who's very capable and who's still developing, but you look at this person as a deficit model, pathology model, and it becomes about taking data about this person based on this person's performance and not taking into account when you're autistic and you have sensory differences, what you're able to do every day, your output is going to vary because we're dealing with sensory burnout. We're do dealing with, you know, sensory overload. Uh, and most people don't even think about that. You know, if you're a therapist, you're a parent, you're not aware of it because uh, it's not considered and discussed as part of, the school goals or therapy goals, you know, because all the goals are created to make this person seem like I'm ready to learn in front of you, meaning I can sit in front of you and look at you, use my eye contact so that uh, I can look at the photo you show me and respond correctly. And forgetting that autistic people, context is not really, it's not something that we naturally are wired to pick up. 
you know, so if you show a kid, an autistic kid, a picture of an apple, that kid would not necessarily know a green apple is also an apple. A drawing of an apple is also an apple. Or at the supermarket, I see a bunch of apples. Oh, yeah, I know that. Those are apples. <laughs> you know, because it's being taught in a, such a specific way without context. It's just by repetition and the reward dangling the right carrot in front of this kid. You know, this, this is all like the beginnings of mar masking. Like if you're an autistic kid, you have very minimum of understanding that uh, this is who I am as an autistic person. I need to hand flap to reset, or I really like to play on the iPad as a way to calm down. You know, it's still developing and you don't know what you don't know. And then you're constantly being expected to perform with rewards by adults who don't understand <laughs> neurodiversity paradigm and sensory differences are not considered. You know, it's like a sticky note. You just put it on that kid, yellow for this, red for this, right? And then um, all the little pleasures that a kid might have, you know, it's being withheld unless you respond correctly. What is, that's not life. How you just define as you have to do eight out of 10, <laughs> 10 out of 10. Otherwise, this program will not be updated because you have not met the data that we want. It's every time I say this, it just breaks my heart in little pieces because this is the beginning of masking, teaching small children who are still very much developing their own identity, sense of self into a model defined by neurotypicals. Right. And I'm talking about well-intentioned people. I'm never, ever saying that autistic kids should not get therapy. Not at all. You know, but the mindset behind this, it's, I think, a lot of clinicians and therapists and teachers, they're not aware of how they should learn from autistic adults, first of all. Know about masking. Know about what are the signs when little kids mask they they're different from each person like how they perform differently it depends on the carrot you have it depends on the adult you have and masking for little children is a survival mode because a lot of times they just they're like a roller decks right they're trying to memorize okay if i see this picture this is what I'm going to say. If I see this teacher, like this teacher has very anxious energy. So I need better need to <laughs> like zip it and sit straight because I'm never going to get this picture done uh -huh. because this teacher will tell me sit straight, hands quiet, you know, uh, look at this picture, you know, like it's just never ending. That is not a childhood. It doesn't matter whether you're autistic or not. That is not a childhood. Maisie, do you have yes. 
Do you have some recommendations for teachers, maybe mostly neurotypical teachers, in terms of learn? Is it just as simple as listening to podcasts like this, going through the openly autistic and actually yeah. autistic hashtags, or do you have mm -hmm. any other suggestions for them? That is a really good question, Doug. I think I work very hard in my advocacy through Instagram. So I run two Instagram accounts. The parenting, parenting, and for clinicians and educators is at Macy Satantio. And I just try to be in the middle in the smart way, in the middle meaning I translate to the autism community, the neurotypicals community, just, just trying to translate about masking, unmasking, how to know these subtle signs, how to support your children to unmask and be themselves, you know. How to let go of your standards and really understand that good enough for autistic kids and autistic people, uh, it's different, you know. Uh, but yeah, so I think um, they can come on to my Instagram uh, account. There are also accounts uh, like on Facebook, Neur Neurodiversity. Nurturing neurodiversity, so that's a really safe place for parents to upload their videos. It's a closed video, and it's just a platform to really learn to work together, exchange videos, exchange ideas, and it's so amazing to just to see these kids just thrive and blossom under just just at home being with their parents. You know, autism itself doesn't need treatment. Right, I want to make that very clear. So for people who listen later, autism itself doesn't need therapy, but the co-occurring conditions that come with being autistic, for some people that needs to be addressed. So I'm talking about apraxia. If you have dyslexia on top of that, if you have depression, if you have, uh, yeah, all these other things, if you can find a neurodiversity affirmative therapist to help you that's ideal because it, you, you do need your therapeutic support system that's very important right but thinking of other uh, autistic-led positive social media groups so on facebook reframing autism is great there are uh, a few of really really good ones but i think in general if you're a parent if you're a clinician Come into this social media group, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Quora, and ask your questions, you know. And if you feel like, oh, I learn a lot from this group, then stay. If you're being trolled or if people trying to focus on your language, like, oh, don't say it like this, leave. <laughs> That's what I do. You know, I just leave because I want to learn. I want to learn from other autistic adults who are ahead of me. I want to learn from other autistic clinicians, you know. So whenever I don't have good feeling, I just, why stay? <laughs> That's what I say to parents, right? Uh, so you also started a nonprofit uh, yes. called Autism Career Pathways right. um, with a mission to increase the hiring and long-term retention rates for autistic uh, yes. individuals in small yes. and medium-sized companies. Why did you uh, decide to focus specifically on small and medium-sized companies? Because small 
and medium-sized companies are actually workplaces that autistic people can really thrive better because it's smaller, quieter, slower, and the jobs are often very systematic where you can actually do one assignment at a time, learn it well, and then move on. Um, you know, there are always pros and cons. Here in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, we have many, many pioneers, right? We have SAP, Google, we have all these uh, tech companies who are based here, and they really, for years, have really tried to figure out how to hire autistic people. Um, but they're looking for a specific skill set, usually, which is the technical, like, app tech skills, aptitudes, and I really want to represent uh, autistic adults who have different types of aptitudes and talents and interests. I'm talking about the autistic makers, uh, autistic uh, business owner, home-based businesses, people who want to do freelancers, for example. There's so many great ideas that I have learned since 2019 about just uh, little, not little, just just community opportunities for autistic people. So, for example, there is a nonprofit in Chicago where they have set it up with their downtown business. So every weekend, a van would come out with whoever's working, autistic adults working. And what they do is they pick up like documents that need to be shredded uh, you know, and then they pick up from all the businesses like every weekend and it's a subscription model. So every weekend our guys hang out, they socialize and they do this paper shredding. <laughs> now you think about your shop, like your, your businesses in our community, how many real estate offices, law offices, uh, you know, all, all these businesses who have papers, stacks and stacks of papers that needs to be scanned, documented, filed, and shredded, you know, like, that. that's one idea. Yeah, so there are so many amazing ideas that people who want to really somehow make a difference in neurodivergent employability and they're able to think outside of the box and actually make it happen you know and that's what autism career pathways we want to shine a spotlight on that so that we can perhaps do the same at our downtown business you know because i think people don't know what they don't know and if people don't know the how to they're not going to open the doors you know, I've experienced that knocking on the door only to be told, well, you know, what we do here is too specialized, too fast paced. You know, that's what they say. <laughs> and, and I stopped doing that. I realized I have to show them the how to and how we want to do that is to build an online platform where we house a very robust video training resources to show all at the click of a button. This is how you employ how you screen and do onboarding and employ and support autistic people at the library, right? Uh, all at the click of a button, sh short video clips. I also have created the capable tool, which is a career, all skill-based 
career uh, assessment tool. It's called Capable. And it's designed to really showcase uh, the personality of the person, what they're interested in, what they're really good at, and it shows the work sample. So what comes out of that is actually a video resume, a short edited caption, five to seven minute video resume uh, with a very simple color coded video summary that the job seeker can take. Okay, this is me. <laughs> and then businesses can picture and visualize, oh, this is a really good person, you know, good energy and have the skill set within our company, whatever that it may be. You know, so I that's what I'm trying to do. My dream is of course to have capable replace a standard verbal in interview that is still commonly used. I, I kind of, I agree with you there in the sense of like working on small and medium uh, sized right. businesses. You know, I have a consultancy as well, but I, I started with like, hey, I'm going to work with whatever big businesses and see what I can do. And I've come to see that, you know, a lot of the resistance and it's hard to be a cog in a machine, when you, you know, with these big companies. Whereas what I'm starting to see is it's individuals. So individual entrepreneurs or, or small businesses who have somebody that they know, usually somebody in the family they know has some sort right. of disability or something. So they understand the importance of it already and they want to make personal change in their own lives or their own business. And I find that is where uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the change is coming from. And uh, yeah. easier. It's easier if I already have, I've already broken down one barrier when they go, okay, yeah. we know this person has value. Let's bring more in, you know? Exactly. Like, it, I don't understand why libraries across America are not looking for autistic interns, autistic librarian. I know a few of, yeah. of people working successfully, you know, at the library. I'm about to interview Erin, who is, she is an NBA number analyst. You know, I'm, I'm a sport, I'm, my obsession on the site is sports, so, <laughs> and basketball in particular, and Erin works for Memphis Grizzlies. So I'm going to interview her and that to me, that's a dream job. And yeah, so there are these like opportunities and I admire like uh, organizations like the Memphis Grizzlies who has taken the initiative to hire somebody and fully allow the person to disclose. That's the other thing, self-disclosure process. That's really hard, right? And uh, imagine if the Lakers are doing this, you know, imagine if this process, if I can show the process, the onboarding process to the Lakers or the Golden State Warriors here, you know, just one person, you know, um, and it will just continue to have that domino, positive domino effect that would be amazing. Well, Maisie, I have a special interest of basketball as well, so that could be a what? yeah, that could be a totally different conversation. I know, right? We yeah, I know. We'll put that. We'll, it'll turn <laughs> into a seven-hour uh, podcast, and that won't be good. Yeah. So we won't. We'll, <laughs> we can start with this, Doug. We can start with like, which athlete do you think is a Nordarvigen? Because I have a few that I think. There's there's too many to to uh, yes. just pick one. I would I would say. I know I know, but that would be really fun conversation actually. <laughs> yes. There, yeah. Yeah. I, yes, I think there's I think there's many athletes out there, and they just have you know they don't realize they're neurodivergent, or they have or they're right. just not 
comfortable disclosing in that environment and culture. Right. Well, people don't know what they don't know, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, before we let you go, um, we always like to uh, learn from our guests, you know, because me and Kelly started this podcast um, because we weren't seeing enough stories about the intersectional identities of autistic folks. So for you, like moving forward, what types of stories would you like to see highlighted? I think everyone has a story and only that person can write his or her their own story. And I wish to see more stories from the other side <laughs> of like neurotypical people to really share, to be part of neurodivergent story, you know? So that my, that's my wish to be able to see more books, children's books from the neurotypical community to say, this is how I equip myself so that I can, so I can guide somebody like this because it's a win-win situation, you know, to, to have a connection, to be able to mentor a person who is different in appearance, in the way they connect with you. And uh, I think it's, it's really a privilege to be part of that person's story, not the other way around, honestly. <laughs> you know, this is what I say. This is my dream. My husband sometimes say, it's just in your mind. <laughs> you know, nobody would buy that. My husband is, uh, brings me back down to earth because I, I'm a dreamer and I refuse to settle. I, I refuse to settle. Settling's way overrated. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Maisie, thanks so much for uh, the conversation today and making time to uh, talk with me and Kelly. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Thank you so much. <laughs>